This episode is brought to you by MyProducer.io, a new marketplace for film, TV, and commercial production staffing. MyProducer.io is a community focused on connecting talented producers and hiring managers with the next generation of crew. Job seekers can create a profile and apply to jobs absolutely for free. Employers can create one-week postings for free, or they can choose from a handful of paid options. Visit MyProducer.io today and use code HWOOD25 to receive 25% off any paid posting. In this episode, I speak with Matt Moreni. Matt is a producer and co-owner of Human Element Productions, based here in Los Angeles. We start by talking about his early career and how he worked his way up from being a PA. We segue into talking about the most undervalued crew members in the production industry, most of which are non-unionized. Matt later shares a super fun and interesting story about a low-budget commercial with rap star Birdman. We shift gears to address the more serious topic of building a budget for a commercial shoot. Matt also gives advice for aspiring filmmakers and producers. And finally, we talk about up-and-coming technology in the industry. From drones to cameras, Matt and I geek out like the technophiles that we are. I hope you enjoy. Awesome. We're here with Matt Moreni from Human Element Productions. Excited to catch up with you today. Yeah, what's up, man? Good to see you. Yeah, you as well. You seem to have been keeping busy. We haven't heard from you in a while. Yeah, yeah. I've been staying enjoyably busy. Not too busy. What is the coolest project you can talk about and that you've worked on in the past six months? (laughs) That I can talk about, yeah, because there's all these ones that are highly classified, top secret. We've been doing a lot of stuff with Adult Swim like a lot of promos for Adult Swim. And luckily I enjoy a lot of those shows. So the promos have been super cool. You know, Rick and Morty? Absolutely. All right. So Rick and Morty, we were lucky enough to do a couple promos for Rick and Morty recently. (laughs) I don't know if you've seen it or if anybody's watched the show, but in a couple episodes they have basically fake TV commercials. And so the promo idea from the Adult Swim guys was basically recreate them in live action. Actually there was a live action one and a stop motion. Oh, nice. So in one day, we actually shot two fake commercial recreations. One is live action and one as stop motion. And they were pretty crazy. The live action one has this fake superhero character drop through a ceiling, a glass ceiling, land in this room and sort of like beating people up. And it's a serial commercial. It's pretty fucking amazing. You'll nice. have to see it. But yeah, no, those were super fun. That's cool. So let's back up a little bit and just tell us about your career how did you get to this point in your life where you are a masochistic filmmaker (laughs) which is exactly what i am yeah so for me i was always very passionate about filming stuff i was always doing that ever since i was a kid when i went to school i studied you know production but then also business because that was something else i was always really passionate about after school i came out to la and really sort of dove headfirst into the production world started as a pa then worked my way into the camera department. I was always very passionate about cinematography. So I was camera assistant for a while, first, second camera assistant, first camera assistant. And then I also started doing some uh, production supervision work, some sort of like producer light style work. And I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed sort of the business side and the creative side of the business. And I've been doing this for, I guess, a few years. And then with a few friends of mine, we sort of decided, hey, like we want to start our own production company. And everyone was wanted to dive into feature films and productions. And I was, 
you know, decided I was going to be very pragmatic about this and I was going to make a career and something I was going to make some money on. So I was like, I'm going to start a advertising company. And once that grows, I will develop into an original content company. And sort of that would be my smart, pragmatic way into making feature films that I wanted to do. And the pain continues. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I had a friend of mine, Ian, who we decided to partner with. And we were originally, we had like got some money together. We were going to buy some gear. And that was, we were going to start like basically like a rental company to start getting clients. And then we sort of serendipitously found this guy who was a one man band, had a small production company and a few like solid local regional clients. Like he's on Van Nuys, you know, that awful fucking jingle right and i was like oh wow i see a bunch of keys i'm out in la like i know this brand i'm gonna hop on here and use this as a client so anyway we ended up taking over that company and i started producing advertising content and we sort of set a plan for five to ten years we were going to build out the original content side and an advertising firm so it actually turned out my career did pan out to use my degrees i have like i said a background in creative production studies and business and to do this day now I'm doing both of those things as a producer for human element that's awesome so you bounced around a lot which I think is great I think that's how they get the best producers and above the line folks get made what's the most undervalued department below the line these days that's a great question the most undervalued Honestly, I would probably say the production department, meaning like the production managers, supervisors, and office PAs. And I don't say that to offend any of you on-set gentlemen and gentle ladies. I know everyone works exceptionally hard. These guys, though, are some of the few people left in town who don't are usually exempt employees, have no union. They are essentially the only guys who don't get overtime. Every other position I know, after you know eight hours, you're getting overtime. These guys work crazy hours all the time in companies all over town and they are you know working in my opinion harder or as hard as everyone else and not getting as much of the recognition or compensation that they deserve so personally i would actually like to see production managers production supervisors potentially office pas unionized somewhere possibly in the dga i'm not sure exactly where they belong but it's, it's sort of just weird they're like the only position that it hasn't been unionized in some way which is funny i say this because we're a non-union company we hire union guys to work non-union it's just i don't know i see like i see the industry and what's going on and i feel like it's strange they're like this weird anomaly that hasn't been hmm. appreciated the way I feel I should. Other than that, I would say art department. Right. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. We talk about this kind of stuff on the show quite a bit, which is what can we do as an industry to be better? And I have mm -hmm. lots of opinions on this. And yeah. I think fortunately, everyone that comes on the show also has some pretty strong opinions on it. By default, we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. But if you had to pick one area, what would you say is the thing that we need to be doing better? That we do better? In, yeah. Diversity, 100%. No question. You're just so, saying this because I'm a representation no, of diversity. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I say this as a, you know, a white dude. Like, I want to, like, give someone else my job. Like, it's ridiculous. It's just such a, 
it's fucking like boys club and mm. it's very white it's just kind of it's something that i would really like to see change mm. i want to see like with something we do we very much try to do at human element something all the guys we work with are really passionate about guys and girls see there i go i would love to see a lot more women i'd love to see a lot more people of color getting great positions on our sets. i want to like that's something i would want to, i know we can do better i'm not sure if you remember but how we met I was actually on your guys' roster as a director I in the do very remember beginning. That. That so is you guys correct. were, you know, we, you were <laughs> we, walking the walk. We've been doing know? it since day one. Yeah. No, it, it is something seriously that we we like we try to actively incentivize. I don't think it's gonna change any other way. Like one of the huge problems in this industry, right, is unpaid internships mm. for like and I'm not talking about like small companies, I'm talking like NBC, they're not doing it anymore, but like large, huge, you know, corporations doing unpaid internships that essentially only like rich people can afford to do because only like you know some kid who has some resources can come out and live in LA and pay rent here for two years while they're gaining the experience that they need like these in my opinion like paid internships not just school credit paid internships that pay like a living wage is a huge step in the right direction yeah. for a lot of people it's something like I choose not to have interns right now because I can't pay them yeah what I want to pay them. exactly I don't know, things like that. Yeah. Well, I totally agree. I mean, there's obviously been a history of exploitation in the industry, which is why we have the unions that, you know, came to power. Yeah. You know, with great reason. But I think the challenge is that there's just a mentality, and you can speak to this from an advertising and client standpoint as well, where, you know, there's almost this expectation of free work. And partially drive because we're creative and because it's competitive and there's so many people that want in in the industry and there's, you know, more production companies than there are clients. So it makes it very, very challenging. But I think that that sort of free work mentality is is harmful on so many levels, you know, so I I frankly don't know how we tackle it other than. You That's know. a tough one. I mean, yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. I agree with that 100%. That, unfortunately, is just like a result of the free market. You know, there's just supply and demand, as you mentioned. Like, it's the same thing as like when red cameras really came out and were out. Like, originally they were renting for $2,000 a day, and then everyone had them. Every kid in town had a red, and they were renting for like $250 on red. Craigslist all of a yeah. sudden. And everyone's like, all my friends that had bought... $40,000 reds were like, couldn't even rent them. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah. Same thing sort of is happening with labor. Yeah. So I, you know, that's a little tougher. There's yeah. human beings, not $40,000 cameras we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny you bring up the equipment thing too, because we were just at a event last night with one of the founders from ShareGrid. Oh. So, you know, that, and they're doing great things. They are. I mean, it's fantastic. I've how used ShareGrid. That's awesome. Yeah. So have we. And, you know, shout out to them. They, yeah. They've they done some interesting automation. And they, I think they've brought to light, you know, where they talk about owners, where owners can make more revenue, which is great. But it's also interesting because I think these days you can get a red scarlet for like 125 a day. Dude, it's, it's insane. insane. It is yeah. insane. Like, yeah, it's you got to maintain value. I, yeah, to anyone out there. I don't know if I recommend buying cameras in 2018. <laughs> Just rent them. They're cheap. That's funny. Well, I almost feel like we could do a, a repeat or just a show on gear because uh, oh, we yeah. had Dustin Perlman on here recently. Oh, nice. and love that guy. He's love that guy as well. He's going to have a big head when he listens to yeah, this. Yeah, but yeah. Just he, kidding, Dustin. I hate he, you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so he he's an owner. 
he's got, I think today two FS sevens and he's got yeah. a bunch of other gear and you know, he's adamantly in the camp of you should own equipment. So I it's inter- it. it's an interesting I debate. I totally get it too. You know, I mean, we have red in house, but I tell you what, we're probably never again going to buy cameras in house. So. Right. It's tough. Like for him, I think it totally makes sense. Like it's like if there's a DP who has their own gear, it makes them infinitely more hireable. And maybe that's the case for production companies. I think it's less so for us. And Dustin's been, for, you know, for his example in particular, I think he's been really smart about it. I think he's bought really like high quality, like cameras that can make really high quality images that they weren't like a hundred grand for yeah. the camera body. So he's yeah. probably paid those cameras off like 10 times. Yeah. You got to make sure the economics work. Exactly. Exactly. That's what, that's where it makes sense. I think an FS7 versus going out and buying like an Alexa yeah. or you know, something even higher end, right? And some of the higher end red cameras, it's like, how are you going to pay that off? I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, like it's like the old film cameras back in the day. I mean, those camera houses were financing those things and paying them off over a long period of time. Unfortunately, digital stuff moves a lot faster and those cameras are obsolete in, you know, two years as opposed to, you know, some of the old Airy Bolex cameras where they last forever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. So let's switch gears real quick. You've got some good stories because largely you've worked with brands that mm-hmm. are what I'd describe as horror stories. So <laughs> why don't you give us one of your horror stories? What's the one that you just kind of tell at dinner parties or yeah, having drinks with someone new? So most of them come from the early human element days where we were really like we were just hustling and trying to like take any job that we could get and that meant music videos a lot of the times which are very special things music videos i don't think anyone enjoys them except for the artists which they're probably having a fucking great time anyway uh (laughs) one of the worst ones i ever worked on was we were doing a hip-hop video for actually sorry this wasn't actually a music video this was a piece of content for a rapper birdman it was for Cash Money Records, and I did it with a buddy named Jeffrey, and they had a budget of $23,000 to make a piece of content for Birdman's new vodka, GT Vodka. Where does the number 23000 come from, by the way? I honestly, I think it was twenty, and I begged them for another $3,000 to like cover a flight, I think, for the director. Nice. But I mean, if anybody has tried to produce anything before knows, that's not a lot of money. Mm-mm. Especially when you're traveling across the country to make a commercial. Anyway, the commercial itself was great. I think we did a fantastic job. The horror story part was the talent, Mr. Birdman. I hope to God he's not listening to this because he'll probably try to fucking kill me. Um, (laughs) But it was just like if anyone has produced stuff knows it's a very tight schedule. Like five and ten minutes makes a big difference. And artist particularly this one birdman does not give a fuck about your schedule like he was just going to show up whenever he wanted like we had this huge shot with him and we're shooting this giant mansion like that they had spent like i believe twenty thousand dollars on for the day i learned later which drove me crazy because that was my entire budget um <laughs> they, tell me how you really feel yeah no but anyway so like they they gave us this block of time they were like oh yeah he will show up between 10 a.m and 4 p.m yeah 
I was like, what that's do you, like a, what, like what do you mean? <laughs> what, what do you mean? I need him at, I need him here yeah. at exactly yeah. 1235. And they were like, you just got to be ready for when he shows up. Nice. And I was like, okay. He'll be in makeup sometime right. next week. <laughs> we're not but sure when. Basically, so yeah. we had like obviously very limited budget. So we didn't, we had a very limited number of lights, but we had to light this main giant shot in the middle of the mansion. So we had like got it all ready for him to show up. And then we would sort of like try and go get other stuff and we would sort of like cherry pick like, oh, let's take this light and this light and try and go run and shoot one thing before he gets here. And so we're like doing that and then we get the call like, okay, he's gotten in his bus and he's coming over. He'll be there in an hour. So we're like, okay, here we go. And we like do the whole thing. We get the whole thing lit up. He shows up and decides he doesn't want to come out of his bus. He's going to like sit there and hang out and he wants to have lunch with his boys. So they like order like a fucking like swear to God, like $2,000 worth of fried chicken and buffet and like all this stuff from down the street. They're like hanging out, drinking, like, and we're all just sitting there on set. Like, what do we do? Like twiddling our thumbs. Like, is he going to come? We have no idea. And finally this producer runs up. He's like, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. So we, we get all on there. Um, we sit down and we're shooting this shot. We're like literally about to finally roll the cameras. And he's like, he sits down and he's like, wait, um, I want to, I want to be holding some cash in this shot. <laughs> And we were like, what? And he's like, yeah, yeah hold on. And then he goes, hey, hey boy, like, whoever he's talking to, some, some friend of his, he was like, bring me the red bag. And the dude walks over and he's holding three bags, three banker's bags. One's red, one's blue, one's green. And they're like, they're all stuffed with like different stuff. And he opens up the red bag. I swear to God, he pulls out like a quarter million dollars cash straight up it was just like he just wanted to be holding cash in that and there's like four times the ten times my budget in his hand he's just playing with it <laughs> like having a nervous breakdown in the back like you've got to be kidding me yeah Love so it. we finally get this shot done after he's you know shuffling his amount of cash that could help me retire we get that done but he sends us into overtime by about an hour and I was like, I can't go into overtime. I spent every dime on this production, every light, every, we have no money left. Please, Mr. Birdman, can I have $2,000 to give my crew overtime? No, just said, absolutely not. I'm like, what? I had no idea how I was going to pay these guys. I ended up, I think, paying them out of my own pocket to get overtime. But anyway, the later that night, I found out that he had wanted to watch a college football game in his bus. He didn't want to drive home. So he stayed in his bus and racked up three hours of location overtime on the mansion, which cost $8,000. And he wouldn't give me two. The job itself was crazy, but it was kind of fun and kind of whatever. And it was just wild. But that right there made it a nightmare to me. I was like, that is just so ridiculous. Yeah. Not to mention, it was like, we're making your commercial, right? Yeah. Like, this is, this is your piece. We're advertising your vodka. Like, spend $2,000 on the people making it for you. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. thankfully, that was the end of that story, and I have not worked with him since. Nice. I keep adding these stories to sort of the library of masochistic <laughs> endeavors because oh, yeah. we literally endure so much pain in this industry and all for the 
the love of the craft, but that's a great story for sure. <laughs> it was an interesting one. I'm glad you lived to tell about it until he hears this podcast, of course. Yeah, I honestly may not after that. I don't know. Yeah. So, all right, let's switch gears and let's go to a place with sunshine and lollipops and yes, rainbows. I love that place. Right. What is your favorite project that you've worked on? Yeah. So uh, it was this it was this vodka commercial down in Miami for Birdman. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, um, Depending on what day of the week we're talking to you, it's yeah. Yeah, I love or hate that. No, I hate that project. No, my favorite ones, honestly, since all of our work's been in advertising, if anyone works in advertising, they know that a lot of the times the client's dictating a lot of stuff, a lot of the creative. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you would. Yeah. No. Yeah. And so like a lot of the, the enjoyment of the experience can come from how collaborative your client is. And honestly, the most enjoyable experience, the most fun project I had was for a company called Green Chef. They were a meal kit subscription company hmm. wanting to compete with Blue Apron. They were doing their first national TV spot. And they were just the most trusting client I've ever had. They were super cool. They were super collaborative. And they trusted us to do a good job and to do good creative. And I think it really showed throughout the whole process. And I think the spot turned out really good. So just, you know, from creative to post, the project was just fucking enjoyable because I was because of the people we were working with. Yeah. And we got to make really cool stuff. I, that, to me, honestly, was probably the most the best project we've ever had just because of that. Yeah, that's awesome. That I can attest to those experiences being great is when you have those clients that, you know, trust you. And it, it sounds so basic and it like does. a no-brainer, but, but because you not. and I both know it's it's probably 80% of the clients that you deal with, you know, I'd say, and, and it's okay if clients are listening to this, it's like 80% of you don't give the adequate amount of trust to your partner. And this is probably sure. something that goes beyond production, right? It goes into different creative avenues and there's probably a lot of agencies yeah. that are nodding their heads if they're listening to this, right? So yeah, I think that trust is such a critical component because candidly, I don't think clients understand the monumental difficulty of the task sometimes. Right. And that if there isn't that trust, then it's literally just hindering the process like it's absolutely it's not that we don't want to deliver great work or do something that delights them but it's like if we have to check more boxes mm -hmm. in an industry that requires so many boxes to be checked then it's hard absolutely i mean i think we're talking about advertising specifically i think the way to get that is they just need to know that you have their best, genuinely have their best interest in heart their yeah. company's best interest in heart and you're not out there trying to win a fucking clio like you really are just whatever's going to work and be creatively genuinely good. If they believe that you can do that and that is your goal, I think you can win their trust. It's just hard. A lot of them don't. A lot of them have a lot of pressure on them and they have to, you know, produce results. Yeah. The worst is like when they tell you that they trust you and that they uh, you have the free <laughs> yeah, reign, yeah. but then like don't let you do anything or question yeah. every single thing you do. It's yeah. like, all right, am I actually, do you want to just make yeah. this commercial yourself? Yeah. yourself? Yeah. Well, do you want to press record? I'll tell you a true story. I won't name names because we don't name names here, except earlier except when you name, name names very directly and very to your own rappers. detriment. Yes. But so we took on client here locally in LA. I'll say it's a technology company, venture backed, which we've worked with quite a few venture backed tech companies. And 
they came to us with a very, I would say, basic request, which is they wanted to do a video for a trade show that was coming up. And it was largely a post-production exercise with motion graphics and kinetic text. Nothing too complicated, yeah, right? It was literally a sure. one-week project. And they gave us the same story of like, hey, we're going to trust you. You guys seem to know what you're doing. You work with a lot of technology clients. So here's what we want to do. Here's a brief. Give us what you got. Show us some boards. So we give them boards. It's basically a one minute video. And we gave them like, I want to say two dozen boards. Like we're essentially giving Holy them. Shit. Yeah. We gave them a board and it was okay because there was a lot of kinetic text and motion graphics. So it's not like there was a lot of wasted effort, but basically gave them two dozen boards. And they came back with notes on every single board. Oh, that sounds fun. Like without exception, like we're even talking the, the board that had their logo on it. Oh, they had comments no. and we're like, how is it possible <laughs> that we're following your brand guidelines and using your logo and you still have notes about that board? You know, like we were just like, how is this like almost seemed like it was just a, a joke. Oh, that sounds like a delight. Yeah. sounds like a yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Needless to say, delight. we parted ways after that project. <laughs> that was the end of the end of the line. You're a wise, wise man. So I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, there are those projects out there. But so kind of going back to, you know, more of a filmmaker's approach and perspective, at least on advertising, I'd love to get your take. You know, you guys do more broadcast, sort of more linear stuff than we do. We're very focused on digital. Talk to us about the anatomy of, you know, the budget and the physical production for a broadcast commercial. Like, I don't think there's as much information out there as people would like. So sure. Okay. When you say anatomy, what exactly do you mean? Like, do you want to like, you want me to show you a top sheet of a budget and like go through it line by line? Well, uh, like, what yeah, do, that what might do, be a little, that might be like a follow-up <laughs> episode, right? If yeah, everyone okay. like thumbs up this, but no, I mean, you know, top line numbers and allocation of budget. How do you think about budgeting and, and allocating resources sure. and, you know, that sort of thing? Because part of it might also be me setting it up with saying there's obviously a range. You yeah. know, there's commercials that probably get done. They get bootstrapped and done in-house for a couple thousand dollars. There's production companies that will do something for starting probably sure. around 10. Okay. And so. then you've got all the way up to like the biggest brand spending millions of dollars on one spot. So, okay. you know, maybe more so the middle of that road or the middle of that range and, and how sure. you okay. guys yeah, construct yeah. So that. So obviously yeah, we've literally produced stuff, like you said, from like $3,000 to I think the largest we've ever done was 350 for a day. Okay, when I fill out my payroll report that I send in, there's a top sheet that says, is this a low-budget commercial? Is this a regular high-budget commercial? And that range is defined as... Anything from seventy-five thousand a day to three hundred thousand a day is low budget. For us, typically we are in the seventy-five to one hundred fifty thousand a day range, and that typically allows us to run a set that, at least mechanically, looks like a union set. People are making maybe not exactly union minimums, but pretty damn close. Everyone's making overtime. You know, everything looks and smells and tastes like a union job. And, you know, we're allowed to have the right staffing minimums, you know, things like that. Like nobody's sort of like wearing 15 hats. Like everything's sort of done properly. Nobody's getting rich, but we're doing things right. It's usually somewhere in that range. Then from everywhere below that, 
tends to get a little bit more creative. You know, it's like, okay, do we need an art department? <laughs> or like, once you're going below 75,000 a day, it's a different beast. It's a whole different style of production. I would say if you want to do like real Hollywood production, like you see on a behind the scenes on a DVD or you know, Blu-ray of your favorite movie, you're spending at least $75,000 a yeah. day. Yeah. Your original question, I think sort of, you were asking this like from a filmmaking perspective, I will say, I honestly think I lost track of that for the first few years of my career. I was like, I'm just going to, I was just focused on the numbers. I was like, how can I get mm. this job done and delivered for the budget? And I think late as I've sort of grown and, and developed as a producer, I think obviously I, I've had to refocus a bit on making sure the creative is damn good and done correctly. And I think that starts with involving the creatives a lot earlier in the budgeting process. One of my favorite relationships uh, is with a director I work with all the time. And we sit down and we bid the job usually together, or at least we review it together. And we talk about these things because, you know, as a producer, I've got a pretty good idea of what everything costs, what can get the job done. But like, I'm not going to assume that I want to talk to my guys. I want to see what their vision is and what they think they need to get it done. And usually we can get it done on budget. Sometimes it gets a little crazy, a little creative. But yeah, does that help answer your question, kind of? Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, I'd love to have you go a bit deeper on it, sure. which is if you take, you know, that low budget range, say you've got the adequate amount of funding at 75 or above, you know, how do you break up those resources and how do you prioritize, you know, what's... Sure. And and I'm sure that'll be a little, it's a little bit different for you than it is for me and other producers out there. But I think that's the interesting thing is to hear your perspective on, yeah, I've got 75. Here's how I'm going to split it up. Okay. So let's say it all comes down to bidding the job or budgeting the job out. Mm -hmm. So I will usually start with, depends on if we're doing it in-house or with an outside director, because if it's in-house, we have my partner, David, is a director. So that right there, the director fee off the top. Directors typically rule of thumb in the commercial industry make about 10% of the budget. So right there, that's, you know, let's say we're working with a budget of 100 grand. That's 10 grand right there. I would then sort of figure out, are we doing just production or posts? Because post is going to be a whole other ballpark. Let's just say, again, we're just doing production. Yeah, sounds like a nice world. Yeah. <laughs> let's say we're <laughs> In an a, ideal world. This perfect mythical unicorn yeah. project I'm talking yeah. about. I'm going to look at all the creative needs. I'm going to figure out sort of a general scope of the project, figure out how many days it's going to take to accomplish, because that's the number one thing. Again, mm -hmm. say, let's assume this is one day. Yeah. I want to interject too, yeah, because I think a lot of people know this, but for folks outside of the industry, that there's a big misconception that folks will come out for a half a day or a few hours. And the yeah, reality is that that's not a thing. Anyway. we're dealing with a contingent workforce. Mm -hmm. And so I talk to clients all the time and try to explain, not by my own doing, but by the fact that we're literally bringing in hired guns to work on the set. I cannot have someone of quality come out for three hours just because your needs are only three hours. It's Absolutely like they're literally not. booked for the whole day. So yeah. it's in full day increments these, these that we look at these budgets. These are guys working at like 
pizza shops and yeah. we were picking up shifts and they're like, oh yeah, I'll just work a half day shift yeah. on this one. This is like, like I said, it's contingent workforce. They're yeah. working days here and there and they book full days, like you said. Yeah. So there's, if they're on your job, they can't hop over to another production over on the other side of town then yeah. later that day. Exactly. It doesn't work that way. Exactly. So yeah, we're, when I'm saying a day, I'm talking about 12 hours, whether we work 30 minutes or 12 hours. In fact, on all of our jobs, we do 12 hour guaranteed. Interesting. So everyone makes your day rate is for 12 hours and that includes, you know, time and a half from hours eight to 12 yeah. and then it's double time after that. So I've, I've figured out the creative needs, uh, you know, are there any wild art department expenses? What are the sets like? Are we shooting on a stage? Are we shooting on location? What are the travel requirements? I'll start to flesh out the size of the crew and start assigning rates there. Usually I can figure out, I also need to know how long I need to prep for, you know, are we prepping this for over a week, three weeks, you know, for the stop motion job that we did on the Rick and Morty thing. That was all puppets. That took like two weeks of building stuff, like little puppets and things. Whereas the live action one that was, had stunts, that had a guy falling through the ceiling. So that took, that had a day beforehand where we had to practice the stunts, you know, rig him up, do all that stuff with those guys. So like every job has its own challenges and, and things. But typically I'm figuring out how much time we need to prep and shoot and fleshing out the size of the crew and then you know it's other minor things like figuring out what how many cameras we need how many, you know what are they going to cost how much grip and lighting do we need figuring out talent costs typically on my stuff talent is really only background or non-union sort of like on-camera talent mm. technically if it's a future talent they're supposed to be sag and set production companies commercial production companies cannot be to, uh, signatory to the sag agreement only brands and ad agencies or quote producers which the basically the people are going to pay the royalties to these talent right so usually i don't have to deal with that it's only like fixed non-union costs so those are pretty easy to manage a mm. budget but you know you're typically looking like on a hundred thousand dollar budget i'm probably looking at like i don't know fifteen thousand in prep costs that's like paying my production managers and supervisors who are on, on you know in the office for two weeks beforehand all the prep days for wardrobe and makeup and a scout day for everybody to come out and, you know, check out whatever we're doing. Then we have our shoot labor, which is like maybe like another, you know, 20 grand. Equipment's probably another 10, 15. Art department's got its whole shebang. Those are like the big ticket items. Everything else is just sort of piecemeal here and there. The directors, like I said, obviously is about 10% of the budget. Got it. Any other, any other details you're curious about? What's your opinion on craft services and prioritizing uh, oh, that? Oh, the food in general yep. is the most important thing Yeah, by far. What's the best meal that you have ever supplied to your team? That is a great question. We're um, all judging, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my favorite and guys I work with the most directors vegan. So I was particularly impressed with our last set where I think we provided quite a smorgasbord of options. Everything you could imagine, vegan, vegetarian, omnivore, carnivore, it was like anything you could dream of was there. And that was pretty exciting. What are some examples? Of things. There were some delicious quinoa fritters, and I love red meat. I ate like seven of those things. Nice. They were delicious. What else? <laughs> Everyone's getting hungry. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, like my favorite thing is when we do a really good breakfast and they have an omelet bar. Oh, actually, no, I'll take my favorite one. There's these dudes... I'll shout them out. DNR Catering. They did a barbecue. I'm from the South. I'm from North Carolina. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Southern accent, but yeah. I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, 
they did like they came out with a whole like pit barbecue setup. It was amazing. Like they were roasting these burgers and steaks and they did some barbecue. Like that was a good day. That was amazing. Nice. Yeah. Shout Getting out hungry. DNR. DNR. Nice. They owe you a rock. commission. <laughs> You're sort of in the same boat as me, right? As far as you have a advertising firm, essentially, right? You're an agency doing work for clients and yet you are also trying to do your own original content yes yeah that's are we turning the tables and no no, no i'm just curious so yeah, i was yeah. going to talk about like that like because we're obviously also trying to do that that yeah. was our five to ten year yeah, goal yeah. and that's yeah. something that we are uh, getting towards actually doing now and it's just interesting I, i'm curious if you're sort of facing some of the same challenges we are as far as doing that yeah well i'm i'm sure which is i think what most people don't understand about the industry and when i say the industry i'm kind of talking media and entertainment so not just media slash advertising right sure. and when we talk about that i think that the dream for most production companies is you know let's sure do some commercials and music videos but the pinnacle is to do original content right to do a tv show or to do feature films and that's definitely been in the roadmap for us. And I think the challenge though is how, I'm sure you can attest to this, is how siloed we are as an industry in, in every set of expertise, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like even most people don't understand, it's like you're, if you're a director, you're a specific kind of director. Oh, and yes. it's not even, you could be a commercial director, but more than likely you are probably a commercial director for fill in the blanks, right? Cars, you, food, cars, food, food right. Absolutely. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. So, and then people don't understand that you may have done amazing food content for food brands as a commercial director. Mm -hmm. And then you want to turn around and say, do a food TV show. Well, that's a whole other move. It's a whole other absolutely. beast. And like studio execs will look at that and go, eh, I don't know. And you'll say, well, look, I've worked with Kraft and Pringles and McDonald's and like Healthy Choice and look at all these brands and look at these beautiful shots I've done and they'll be like, wow, really? Yeah. I don't know if you can do a food show though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh man. I like, oh, I have so much to say about this. Yeah. So this happens all up and down the industry, not just to companies, it happens to people, like you said, like directors. Like we literally had one, there's a story I think I heard about this guy who was shooting spaghetti and he had red sauce on his reel. Like he had shot like some like Olive Garden stuff and had red sauce. And this was for a restaurant that was looking to do a pasta with white sauce. And he submitted his resume and they were like, I'm sorry, you don't have white sauce experience. Like we just can't hire you. And they were like, not kidding. Like he didn't get the job because he didn't have that specific experience. It's crazy yeah. how yeah. much, at least in, in this industry, people want to see like you said, like what they're yeah. looking to do, but like it's everything siloed. It's not just advertising. It's like reality TV is its own silo. Even yeah. TV and film are sort yeah. of siloed. Although yeah. They're blending more and more. But yeah, dude, it's it's tough to break that stigma. It's something that like I'm very conscious of, and we are company are very conscious of when it comes to making our first step. Because I I've seen how people get branded and put in a niche and never let out of that cage mm -hmm. for their entire career. As a company who's looking to make our first step into original content, I'm obsessing about what that first one will be, mm. which is funny because a lot of people will just be like, just go make shit. Just get out there and make shit and mess up and get dirty and like, just go fucking turn on your camera and make something. 
And I agree with that because like there's a side of just developing your craft mm -hmm. and like getting it right or, right. you know, over time, just sort of getting better, your craft matching your taste and all that jazz. But at the same time, like if there's a word of advice out there to people who are making their own thing, like make sure you fucking love it and it's you to a T and it's something that you could potentially see yourself doing that thing for a long time. Cause I got, yeah. I got a friend of mine right now, we're developing a script and it's sort of like an action comedy, like a dark action comedy. He wants to direct it. I'm helping him produce it. I have no idea what that means by the way, <laughs> but that's probably more a reflection on me than you. What, what do you mean? <laughs> a dark action comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Think like, um, I don't even know. What would it be? It would be like if the Coen brothers did Pineapple Express. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, what are we? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, those are two great comps. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, I was talking to this director and I was like, are you prepared to be an action comedy director for the rest of your career? Because let's say you make this short, right? It's amazing. It's crushing it. People are like, wow, he's really great at comedy. Oh, and it's like, he's so subtle with the way he introduced the violence. It's great. Let's develop this into a feature. So you make a feature version of that short. Everybody's dream, right? You make your short turn into a feature. Holy shit, I'm a director. Next thing you know, like, what do they want you to direct next? It's probably just a slightly more mainstream Hollywood version of that movie. Yeah. And next thing you know, it's like, well, oh, fuck, I kind of wanted to make a Chef's Table documentary. Yeah. That's never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's something that like is very interesting to me about this is like getting that first step right seems really important. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. And probably I don't have an answer to counter that, right? And a lot of times I'll see different sides of things. I, I don't know that there is. I think it, it is very challenging. I think the irony is that the creative industries are very are filled with risk averse bean counters. And really yeah. I don't I don't think most people understand that the studios came about because they needed a model to mitigate risk. Absolutely. And so That's what the exactly studios right. do is they they do, you know, ten movies a year mm -hmm. on the high end, right? And one is a blockbuster, six or seven of them are a bust, and a couple others like do all right. right but the blockbuster literally carries the okay. whole studio i mean even even like my favorite production company in the world a24 right yeah go look at their wikipedia page or their imdb right and look at the list of projects they've done i love every a24 movie i've ever seen i have not seen like 95 percent of their movies because they've all like been in like limited release you know they spent two million dollars made a million and a half lost some money but then they have like room out there which will grow like 38 million dollars yeah and pay for all of those so yeah. even i would say like the most creatively selective artistic production companies distributors are still doing that same model they're still hedging yeah. their bets they yeah. have to be risk averse exactly exactly so it is it's just by sheer economics it's it's very difficult it's challenging to create but I think the advice that you are pointing out is it's great advice, not just in the industry. It's great life advice, I think, especially for folks that are younger in their career, which is the value of doing things that you are passionate about mm. is so important because if you're not, I think the reason it's good advice is because people don't realize how long it takes to do things, mm -hmm. how long it takes to start up a company and see it make revenue, how long it takes to even do a short film, let alone a feature, let alone a series of shows or a series of features, right? So there are people that spend a decade, two decades developing a project, never right. having it see the light of day. So you got to care. You really got to care about 
what you're making. And you got to care about the people that you're associating with to make it because, frankly, you're going to be in bed with them for a long time. Yeah. And like you said, people are going to stop caring about your project long after you do. So, yeah. Or like way sooner than you do. Yeah. Like you're going to have to care because, yeah, yeah, after in year five when you're slogging through it. Absolutely. You better still fucking love it. Absolutely. I hear this from writers in particular all the time and showrunners, right, where they, they have something and they took it to a studio and then there's contact churn that mm-hmm. exec leaves and they literally go, what project? Mm-hmm. Who are you? What's your name again? Oh, <laughs> you man. know, like it's like. Right. And just you, musical and, chairs. And this yeah. poor guy has been desperately trying to get that project in yeah. there for 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. Just sits there. Yeah. It's ludicrous. Fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Not to be pessimistic about it, but at least taking a, a measured approach to no, the creative exactly. activities. That, right. So that was that is sort of my point is like, be smart about your first step. Get it right. Be passionate about it. But at the same time, don't get paralysis. Like, don't spend so much time thinking about it that you don't do anything. Just be smart about it. What's, if we're on the advice train, what's another piece of advice that you would give to aspiring filmmakers or producers? I, I mean, this might be obvious, but just like, don't be an asshole. Like, in all <laughs> I was going to say, be nice, right? Be nice. Yeah. No, seriously. Like, when you're just like sitting on set, like, you're with these people all day, right? Like, when you're yeah. on set, like, sets are boring as shit. Like a lot of the times, like it's like behind the scenes, like they don't show you, like you're just sitting there Mm -hmm. talking with each other for like 12 hours most of the time. Like you're filming for like five minutes and then they're setting up the lights for like an hour. So like you better like these people. They're very cool and fun to hang out with and chill. And like I have not been doing this that long compared to a lot of people in the industry. Mm. And I am so fucking tired of working with assholes and oh, egos. Yeah. I just like don't have time for it. Like yeah. I won't do it. Like I just I don't care if you are fucking Scorsese. I don't want to work with you if you're a dick. Yeah. I think that attitude is pervading more so than ever before. Yeah. And so like <clears throat> I would say, like, if you're getting in the industry, like, I don't care how talented you are, just be a nice person. Yeah. And you'll go a lot farther yeah. it goes than if a, you're not. It goes a long like, way. Like some, you know. Nowadays, some PA is going to Snapchat you and put you on blast if you like, you know, rip some kid to pieces as a director yeah. on set. Like you're going to you're going to develop a reputation a lot faster. Yeah, exactly. In, in the worst possible way. Or the best. Yeah. That's something or we try best. to do. Like we try to like treat everybody really well, be super nice, be super open and transparent. And like I personally, I mean, <laughs> anybody out there who's listening to this, uh, email me if I'm wrong and tell me how we're fucking up. But like, I think we, I think we are chill. Just an inbox <laughs> and nice is going to get work crushed. With. Yeah. No, Man, I'm just you kidding. fucking suck. Your yeah. crafty's terrible. Yeah. Well, I think it's the sentiment, you know, I would say we try to do the same. I also think it's an evolution, you know, so how we operated five years ago is not as good as we operate today. And frankly, in sure. five years from now, we're going to be better than we are today. I hope, you know, that's the sentiment that needs to happen. And in the same way too, like if you're growing up in the industry, it's like you're not going to be as good today as you will be in five years. So, you know, keep at it both with skill and attitude, right? Absolutely. It's like the ability to conduct yourself professionally only improves over time if you put in the effort and learn from your mistakes. And, you know, so I get it. Sometimes we get young crew that comes out and they have a bit of an attitude issue and they can adjust it. It's okay. I worry about the people that are, you know, five years in already and they come to set with an attitude. And I think, come on, man, you know, I mean, at some point I feel like we're just making stuff. Yeah. Take it easy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So everybody out there, just be nice to each other. Yeah. Be nice. Be nice. Me and Matt are.
yeah. we're nice to each other. <laughs> Let's switch gears. Let's talk a little bit about technology. So how are you slash human element employing different kinds of technology to either do better work or to do different kinds of work? <laughs> That's a great question because I tend to be a hoarder of paper. I have like some reason I just love tactile like I love like all my you know backup records are paper which is so ridiculous because it's 2018 it's, it's awful we're, pa so we're entirely paperless like I'm so jealous I wish a, I could do that yeah there's a literally over there it's a scan pile yeah and that's scan and shred oh, wow dude I'm like slightly turned on that's amazing <laughs> like oh god I wish I could do that I just I can't it's awful and like we, as from like a production standpoint, there is so much paperwork. Mm. Like we're talking about contingent workforce mm -hmm. and people working short term. Unfortunately, you still have to fill out basically all the same long form paperwork for even like a one day job. So you do a one day job, you have to fill out a deal memo, an I-9, a W-4, a time card, a wage acknowledgement, a healthcare form. I mean, it's crazy. Like you have to fill out like nine different forms. Yeah for a one day job and you have to do them all again if you do a job next week it's crazy yeah the worst part is it's like a lot of these payroll companies and like media services entertainment partners those guys they've like digitized that whole process just recently like they like in the last two years they've all mm. been in beta and they've been testing them i think they're all sort of rolled out now it's just still a lot of pushback from like actually like transitioning to that digital world it's gonna happen it's gonna be so amazing and so much better and I'm, I'm personally just like sitting there with my finger on the trigger like i don't know what the first job is going to be there where we go fully digital but it's going to happen soon. Yeah. And once we get through the growing pains, it's probably going to be amazing. Yeah. Because we do like literally, I mean, the management of my company is all digital. Like all our communications are on Slack. Our tax management is with Monday. Man, I'm getting a lot of free advertising right now. Yeah, you are. You know, we're, all of our internal sort of like management is on Google. It's yeah. You know, like everything else is very tech heavy, yeah. very tech driven. Exactly. It's funny though. Production is still a little old it's school a lot for of us. Resistance, which is you know, we're with myproducer.io, we're fighting a lot of that yeah, as well. There's sure. this kind of embedded sorry, not embedded, ingrained mentalities about doing work, and I don't know for some reason sometimes complete disregard for how much time and money and stress you could save yourself by doing it a slightly different way. It was an interesting. It was actually at an entertainment tech event last night with a bunch of founders of startups who have created, you know, tech apps or tech marketplaces for entertainment. And, you know, they're fighting a lot of the same challenges, which is there is a lot of complexity to what we do, a lot mm -hmm. of paper, a lot of back and forth. And, definitely better ways to do it but getting the adoption is is almost more challenging than in any other industry i believe it yeah so what about onset technology because that's always fun to talk about is like new toys right yeah. like love to have new toys on set anything that has come out that you guys have used recently or you've had your eyes on or that you want to use that yeah so Honestly, the most insane thing I've ever seen. I think they're called sky panels, right? That's like oh yeah, the sky panel, like the LED ones that are like yeah, 
an inch thick yeah. or something is, crazy like that. They're incredible. Yeah. Like the things that we can light nowadays yeah. and how and like in tight spaces is yeah. incredible. Yeah. You know, like even like in my short career, I'm used to seeing like massive M18s yeah. and like Mole Richardson lights that are yeah. like gargantuan. Yeah. And, and now we have like sheets of paper that we fucking Velcro to the ceiling and they put out like... Yeah. 10k yeah it's nuts yeah it's it's nuts i love it and the lack of heat yes you know it's like people aren't sweating oh it's like the makeup artist doesn't have to come back around and yeah touch up you know constantly yeah you're not cooking we just did it we just did a job where we were doing like a sci-fi thing in a in sort of like a post-apocalyptic motorhome like a trailer basically nice it's really small it's like it was like i think the whole thing was eight by 20 and the dps and the director were like this is fucking small man like yeah. i don't know where we're gonna light this thing yeah yeah i mean i think we had a lot of this. i don't know if we do use sky panels on that one but like certainly could have like yeah the ability to light in tight quarters is yeah is amazing yeah exactly so how else do you get the stuff. the light in and you're like bouncing it in right and doing weird stuff yeah, yeah it's nuts absolutely and and then it's still getting hot as can be so yeah i love led lights yeah what about drones do you guys if you guys do a shoot will you hire a third party to do the drones or do you just hire a an operator like how do you guys go about drones when you yeah weirdly we haven't done that much drone aerial stuff i know it looks amazing honestly the last time i went out and shot a sizzle for the travel show i'm trying to get done Mm. and i I rented a a phantom yeah for and so stoked to throw it up and we went out to catalina island and like literally the second we were out there rangers showed up and they were like you guys droning and we were like, uh, no. And it was like, don't, don't you dare put that drone. Like they were so ready to not yeah. let us drone. I was so excited. I was going to get to drone. Oh, I no. didn't even get to throw it yeah. up. But yeah. It's kind of <laughs> crazy now how like you can't, it's like really, oh, really yeah. regular. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be, I think yeah. with good reason though, because it For is sure. a massive safety issue and people oh, yeah. don't know what they're doing. And you know, true story. We were actually shooting a Kickstarter and we had a bunch of drone stuff mm-hmm. and we, you know, we were flying in a park and the AC that we, we won't name names, mm-hmm. but the AC on the job is supposed to be watching the trees and, you know, basically giving proximity call outs yeah. if we came close to the trees. Uh-uh. I think these days, I think I a lot of the DJIs have some kind of like proximity sensors yeah, and they'll, they'll like, actually we'll like auto themselves. sense, which is really cool. But this is before then. Mm. And we literally take the drone, we're flying and bzzz, and it's like the shot looks great. We're observing it. And then all of a sudden just, just oh, crashes right into no. the tree. And then the thing just like rockets to the floor and it doesn't explode, but it's just making this like horrible hissing sound. Yeah. And it's like clearly like just smoking and just it's done. destroyed. It's done. And like we like, you know, rip the battery out and. We're like this thing is just completely cooked and and the sad thing was that that, that was like literally probably half the budget yeah. of the whole shoot right <laughs> it's like because it's like skeleton crew and, are not cheap yeah, yeah yeah no that is exactly why we would hire third party yeah not fly it ourselves exactly exactly to that question yeah anything else tech wise you know i haven't gotten to use one but any of those moco arms dude were like the motion control oh yeah yeah programmable arms yeah Yeah. i've seen some like there's a new one that do you know right media group Mm -mm. and they're a production company i've seen a a lot on instagram yeah and they like have this a sexy new moco arm that i'm just like 
dying to use. Yeah. It would be so cool. Yeah. We were deep into that world for a while as we had CineSlider and like all oh, the yeah. Kessler stuff sure. that was like motion controlled. And we had, um, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called Second Shooter. Mm-mm. It's a shout out to Kessler, but it's basically a built-in camera operator, right? So you attach Second Shooter to a slider what? and you program the moves. And so I'll show you actually after that we did a couple shoots and it's like talking heads and we put the B cam with the second shooter and it literally parallaxes smoothly all around the subject. It goes back and forth, left and right. Yeah. it's And it looks beautiful. It's like smooth as glass. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So well, now I know what I'm doing later. I'm going to get online and buy me one of them. Yeah. They're not too expensive, actually. I think, I mean, for gear, you yeah. know, it's like, I think it's like 1500 the That's entry point awesome. for a second shooter. Yeah. I will say also, like, the A7S, too, that camera. Mm-hmm. Have you used that? I have not, but it is like, heard good things. You know, obviously, never gonna use it on like a giant commercial or anything. Of but like, going on and grabbing stuff, like, the image it puts out is incredibly yeah. beautiful. Yes. Yeah. The, the dynamic range is like shocking. Yeah. And the highlight roll yeah. off, oh, dude, it's sexy. I'll say, is an interesting, I don't know if I'd call it a statistic or what, it's kind of like a combination of statistics, but Sony does an exceptional job of delivering dynamic range for a low price. Yeah. You know, like with the FS7, for Mm -hmm. instance, it's like you get, I'm, someone's going to like call me out on this and like troll me, but you get very close to like some red cameras with an FS7 for a much you know, cheaper. Oh yeah. Um, is a great camera. Yeah. And the S log is, yeah. you know, it's a fantastic form to work in. And I think that's why you got with the, um, you know, it was a seven S you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. You got some pretty fantastic images because of that. And you got just awesome dynamic range. So, yeah. I mean, if, if you're not honestly like putting it on a the- a theatrical sized screen, mm-hmm. you can shoot, 90% of stuff on an FS7 or less. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. If you've got, it depends on who's using it. If you've got a, like a talented DP who knows yeah. what he's doing and is like really good, you can make stuff with FS7 look like it was shot yeah. on film. Yeah. Exactly. Plus the frame rate for that price point yeah. is incredible. Oh, incredible. You know? So very cool. Yeah, man. Well, Matt. It's been awesome having you on. I appreciate you sharing some details. Of course, anytime. And uh, maybe we'll have you back after you've got some original content on air. Yes, let's do it. Awesome. Thanks again, bud. Yep. This episode is brought to you by Marching Penguin Digital Production Studio. Since 2012, Marching Penguin has been producing premium digital content for venture-backed startups and Fortune 500 companies alike. With more than 1,000 produced videos to date, Marching Penguin has a broad experience set to accommodate marketers looking to create a stronger online footprint with video. Visit GoMarchingPenguin.com to learn more today.